Good morning. Let's have a word of prayer together as we get into God's word together. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place today and for the opportunity that we have, God, to gather together, the opportunity that we have to hear from you. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me, that you would speak in spite of me and use this time for your purposes in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Hey, real quickly, join me in welcoming into our service Lake Hills Church downtown at Brazos Hall. Good to be with y'all this morning. <clears throat> wow. Cannot believe it. It was just last week that we celebrated Easter as a church family. I want to begin this new message series, Carry On, by asking you a question. Downtown, you as well. I'm wondering here in church, amongst these assembled saints, before the Lord himself, how many of us would admit to being stubborn? If you were stubborn, just put your hand up. That's okay. It's church. It stays confidential right here in this room. I appreciate it if you don't lift anybody else's hand for them. <laughs> Stubbornness gets a bad rap. Stubbornness gets a bad rap. Like the song, I Won't Back Down. A few years ago, I was preparing to preach a sermon on marriage, and I was preaching a sermon from the book of Ephesians, chapter number five, which contains essentially God's essay on marriage, on what the role of the wife is, the role of the husband, and how together they paint this beautiful picture of Christ and his bride, the church. And I got to the passage where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes on to say, wives, submit to your husbands. And realizing that I was getting ready to step into some shark-infested waters, I was running everything, as I always do, by my bride, Julie. And so I was kind of sharing with her where the sermon was going and what I was planning on saying. And I said, kind of help me to understand if I'm going to lose half the room if I say this or I do that or just kind of what this is going to look like. And so we started a conversation just as husband and wife. And Julie looked at me and she said, you know what I've realized? I really don't have a problem with submission. I mean, unless we disagree. <laughs> now, as a husband, you have a moment here where you have to make a very critical decision. Do you point that out or do you let it just kind of hang? And so I began to pray profusely. Lord, give me wisdom in this moment. And so I just sat there quietly, and Julie, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I believe, looked back at me, and she said, oh my gosh, I do have a problem with submission. And I looked back at her, and I said, honey, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, we all have a problem with submission. Every single one of us has a bent within us toward stubbornness, towards being stubborn. And what I want to suggest to you this morning as we carry on out of Easter is that that can be an amazing gift from God. We, we have two children in our household. One is a freshman in college, one's a junior in high school. Both of them inherited recessive genes from somewhere and are incredibly stubborn. Now, one of them no names, no names need to be mentioned. One of them is incredibly overt in her stubbornness. 
But her brother is every bit as stubborn. He's just quieter about it. And you kind of have to read between the lines and really pay attention. Because, okay, I'll tell you, Joseph will look at you and say, yes, sir, no, ma'am. But in the meantime, he's thinking, oh, those poor old people, they just don't get it. (laughs) And, And as Julie has taught me, you have to watch Joseph very carefully because you can say, Joseph, you told me that you would be home at 9 o'clock and it's 9.30. And he'll go, yes, ma'am. But it's that little furrowed brow right there that you probably just missed. If y'all can get a close-up of my, my brow right here, this is what Joseph will do. You just kind of bring it in a little closer, closer. Joseph will go, yes, sir. <laughs> and it's that immediate little, that little so subtle, microscopic furrowing of the brow. Yes, sir. That betrays his stubbornness. Because inside he's thinking, this old man's an idiot. I never said I'd be home. Now, he doesn't say that out loud because he wants to eat. But he has that same stubborn drive, candidly, that I do. And today, you and I begin a series of messages together to explore and to exploit the benefits of being stubborn. Stubborn can be an amazing tool. To do this, we're going to look at the life of Joshua. Joshua is a fascinating character that God saw fit to include his story in the biblical record. As a matter of fact, he has an entire book of the Old Testament. Joshua was the guy who inherited the reins of leadership from a guy named Moses. Now you want to talk about walking into a thankless task. By the time Joshua takes leadership over from Joshua, from Moses, Moses' career as a murderer back in Egypt, as a fugitive from law, all those things have long been forgotten. Now Moses has brought the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, to the very brink of fulfilling the blessing and the promise that he made to Abraham centuries before. Moses has led the nation of Israel through the wilderness. They've gotten water out of rocks. They've had manna in the desert. Quail have appeared from nowhere. And Moses has been venerated. He's been lifted up to almost mythical proportion. And now it's Joshua's turn. And another word for stubborn is the word courageous. It takes incredible courage to not back down. It takes incredible courage courage to stand your ground and so as Joshua takes the reins of leadership Joshua has a moment with God himself if you got your Bibles or maybe your smartphones go ahead and pull those out go to Joshua chapter number one one of the things I'm excited about this series is that our entire church is doing this together not only here in big church but also in our children's ministry our student ministry Wednesday night high school all of our church is going through the book of Joshua together. I think this is going to be an amazing opportunity for us as a church family. But in Joshua chapter 1, look at how the Bible sets the table for our man Joshua. Chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, 
He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. Now, let me take a little time out right there. It's an amazing moment, not only for Joshua, obviously, but also for the nation of Israel. Israel has just spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, but not just wandering for the sake of wandering. God led them through those wilderness years so that they would be prepared, so that they would be equipped to go in and take the promised land. If you go back some 40 years from this moment in Joshua chapter 1, you find the reason why they were in the wilderness. It was because when Moses sent 12 spies into Jericho, into the promised land, two of those 12 spies came back and said, this is awesome. The land of milk and honey. They brought fruit back to show what it looked like, what it was going to be like when they occupied it. But 10 of those 12 spies came back and looked at Moses and went, mm-mm, mm-mm, don't do it. It's not good. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad, 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 bad. And these 10 spies actually said out loud, we look like grasshoppers to the inhabitants of the promised land in our own eyes. We cannot do this. But there were two spies who said they could do it. Caleb and a guy by the name of Joshua. Now, prior to this, Joshua's name was not Joshua. He was Heshua. Heshua, son of Nun, was the one who came back with the report. But when Joshua proved himself faithful, Moses changed his name. And the name that Moses gave him in the original Hebrew is actually Yehosha. Yehosha means Yahweh delivers. Joshua is the first character in the Bible to have his name changed to include the proper name of God, which is Yahweh. So Joshua now becomes the one who is known as God delivers. And so it's not coincidence. It's not happenstance. They didn't have a vote as to who was going to succeed Moses. Joshua had been prepared. Joshua had been faithful. Joshua had been in the game all along the way. And it was Joshua and Caleb who were the only two Israelites who were there at the bad report in Numbers chapter 13 who also got to enter the promised land. Joshua and Caleb who said, we can do this. They were the ones that God chose to allow to enter the promised land. During that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, that entire generation died off in the wilderness. It was their children and grandchildren who would claim the promise of the promised land. Now, Joshua chapter 1 continues. I want you to read the highlighted words with me as we've got them on the screen here behind me. Verse 3, check this out. God's talking here and he says what? I promise you... What I promised Moses, wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I have given you. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. Read this with me out loud. This is huge. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. 
whoa. Now I want you to think about this for just a second. Prior to this prayer moment with God, put yourself in Joshua's sandals for just a second. I want you to just think about the fact that you are now replacing Moses, a living legend, a living legend. And all of a sudden you have to be the guy to replace the legend that is Moses. I'm telling you, this is a frightening moment. I don't care how many battles you've been in. I don't care how faithful you've been over 40 years. This is a frightening moment. And yet it is exactly this moment that God chooses to say to Joshua repeatedly, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And I think for those of us who maybe get to a place where we feel like quitting sometimes, it's easy to kind of discount that. Okay, be strong and courageous. But, I mean, really, what are we doing? I mean, you, you can only do so many pregame pep talks. You can, you can only kind of, you know, fake it for so long. But God's not asking Joshua to fake it here. He says, be strong and courageous for I will be with you. God says, your courage, Joshua. God, I think, says, your courage, Mac, is not about something that's within you already just because you walk and breathe. This courage is rooted in the character of God. That's the kind of courage that God calls us to. That's the kind of root that anchors genuine courage regardless of the circumstances. Now, a lot of times I'll ask you, you know, raise your hand or think about this if you're stubborn. Don't raise your hands. But how many of us at some point along the way feel like quitting? Either maybe a job or maybe sometimes as a parent. Don't, don't raise your hands. But I'm just saying just really and truly you just kind of like, you know what? I'm done. I, I wish these kids the best. I hope they find jobs one day. But I'm out. Or maybe sometimes in a, in a marriage, you just kind of feel like, I don't know what happened. I, I don't know where it went south. I, I don't know where he got so mean, but I just, I just man, I'm, I'm, I'm done. For the record, God knows that. For the record, God gets it. You know, I think it's important to remember that Jesus wanted to quit. You know, last weekend we celebrated Easter, and if you'll remember Jesus, immediately before going to the cross, he was praying, not unlike Joshua here in Joshua chapter 1. And in that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Lord, if there's any way around the cross, if there's any alternative, anything that, that could accomplish the same purposes but would mean I didn't have to endure that, I would rather do that. Jesus wanted to quit. And, and I will tell you, I'm not going to raise my hand, but I'll tell you, there have been times when I've wanted to quit. There have been times I wanted to quit as a parent. There were times where I just kind of go, okay, y'all just stay alive. Mom and I are going to dinner somewhere, but it's not here and it's not with y'all. Good luck. That, that, I'm just telling you, I've felt like that before. Julie and I have shared with you before as husband and wife. We had been married for a few years, had two kids, and 
she looked at me one time and she said, I think you may have married the wrong person. And it wasn't funny. It was frightening. It was scary. Because both of us knew that we had made this commitment for life and we knew that, that God wanted us to stay married. And so we, we had taken divorce off of the table, but we'd only been married about seven years. I was, you know, a fairly young man. She was a fairly young woman. That meant we were going to spend a long time together not liking each other. There have even been times where I've thought about what it would look like to not be the pastor of Lake Hills Church. Now, I've never acted on that. If zero is the thought has never crossed my mind or 10 means the moving vans are on the way, good luck, I've, I've gotten to about a four. I've kind of, I've kind of thought, you know what? There's got to be something easier. But then I come back to this thing that God has done in me. And, and, and I come back to this thing called calling as a parent, as, as a husband. I knew that God didn't want Julie and me to live 50 or 60 years together miserable. I didn't buy the lie, though. God just wants me to be happy. Now, that's the biggest crock of poo I've ever heard in my life. That's a deep theological term, crock of poo. Look it up. But so many people justify so many weak decisions by saying, God wants me to be happy. No, he really doesn't. Tell your neighbor right now, God don't want you happy. He wants you fulfilled. He wants you joyful. He wants you obedient. And to get there takes raw courage. I want to give you just a working definition of courage. Just, just for the rest of our time and throughout this entire series, you're going to see throughout the life of Joshua the need for courage. And this is just a working definition of courage. You ready? Write this down. Courage is just mean-spirited tenacity rooted in the character of God. Mean-spirited tenacity rooted in the character of God. A couple of years ago, I guess now th almost three years ago, Julie got a new dog. We had always had Labradors. We had big, big labs, almost 100 pounds, both of them. Daisy, our female lab, she was kind of embarrassed when we take her to the vet. She wouldn't get on the scale, but she's a big girl. <laughs> but <clears throat> a couple of years ago, Julie got this little lap dog, Annie, little Cavalier King Charles. And, and, and she is, and she's, she's a cute little dog. She really, I'll, I'll grant you that. I will not walk that dog in the neighborhood, but it's a cute dog. <laughs> she came and, like, she got up in bed with me this morning before I got up, and we were just kind of laying there, and Julie looked and she was she loves you. But anyway, <laughs> Annie has this amazing grip in her jaws. She, she'll bring, she's got a little knotted rope toy that, that she really, really likes. And, and so we'll play at night and I'll throw it. She'll bring it back, throw it, bring it back, throw it, bring it back, throw it, bring it back. She's the best retriever we have in our household. She's much better than either one of our labs. Our best dog passed away last summer. We still have these two left. But Annie will grab a hold of this knotted rope toy with her jaws and hold on to it, and I can lift this little rat up, <laughs> holding on to the rope, and she will not let go. She'll come off the ground. I mean, it's impressive. I think that's a great picture of courage, of just, just, just mean-spirited tenacity, not 
letting go. When Julie looked at me and said, I may have married the wrong person, she and I both together held on that rope and said, I'm not going anywhere. Let's figure this out. I love you. (laughs) And you need to understand something. It's funny now. It wasn't then. It got real in a hurry. And she stayed. I stayed. Not because we're special. Not because I'm the pastor of the church. Which is great. But we stayed because of the grace of God. We stayed and we dug in. And we didn't let go. Mean-spirited tenacity rooted in the character of God. Now, God goes on in verse 7. Again, read these highlighted words with me because they matter. Verse 7, God's talking to Joshua still. He says, be strong and very courageous. God kind of amps it up a little bit. Just a second ago he said, be strong and courageous. Now it's, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Check this out. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Here's the takeaway. Obedience is the connective tissue between courage and God-honoring success. Obedience is the connective tissue between courage and God-honoring success. Obedience makes stubbornness okay. When you're stubborn about the right things, when you're stubborn about protecting what you watch, When you're stubborn about protecting your heart and your mind from pornography. When you're stubborn about protecting your relationships from sarcasm and cutting hurtful little twists and digs and subtle little misleading half-truths. All of a sudden, you're stubborn about just telling the truth and letting your yes be yes and your no be no. And that obedience begins to work and you start to see things happen and you see success in a God-defined version of success. I'm not talking necessarily about becoming a squillionaire overnight, although it could happen. But we're talking about fulfilling the purposes for which God created you as your obedience links your courage and the success and the prosperity that God desires to give you when God uses the word prosperity don't limit that to just financial prosperity God can bless us with prosperity in ways that makes money look stupid And as I've said before, I know somebody right now is thinking, I'll take the stupid blessing, Mac. I get that. But it's that obedience to take God's word, the Bible, 
and say, you know what? I don't understand everything that's here. I don't understand why God put everything in here that I did, that he did. But I'm going to trust God more than I trust myself. I'm going to choose to believe that if God put it in here, he as God has a reason for that. And I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust that there's a reason why God wants me to live like this. That's what God's saying to Joshua here in chapter 1. He says, everything that I gave to Moses, I gave to Moses on purpose. Follow that. Do that. Live that. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Stay after it with everything that you've got. And go hard. And watch what I will do. God continues on in verse 9. Again, read this highlighted with me. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Hey, real quickly. I want everybody, kind of, every, if you will, just kind of sit up and, and take a deep breath for just a second. Kind of breathe out through your nose because you probably had some coffee. But breathe out. And I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them, be strong. Now, that's a great encouragement. Somebody will walk out of here today, and, and you'll remember that person that kind of looked at you, and you think, maybe, some of you might be thinking, I may take her to lunch. But anyway, you'll, you'll think, you know what? Tomorrow's Monday. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up. I'm going to live to fight another day. I'm going to be strong and courageous tomorrow, and, and, and I'm going to take that. But I want you to just think for a second if God said that to you, if, if you were engaged in a conversation and God said, be strong and courageous. But I want you to look at what God said. He says something really interesting. This is my command. This is my command. Courage is a command. Courageous. Living is a command of God, which tells us if it's a command, it's a choice. We're not to be courageous based on how we feel. Isn't that amazing? Man, so many days, so many times I make decisions about what I will do or won't do based on how I feel. How many times do we say to ourselves, even subconsciously, I don't feel like it? Honey, can you stop at H-E-B on the way home and, and, and pick up some of, that, some of that already done boiled shrimp that the kids love so much? I don't, I don't feel like it. I mean, I'm just telling you, there is no way to go through a grocery store masculinely. It's like that. trying to be masculine in a grocery store is, is kind of like being cool riding a Segway. You know, like the mall cop, you just can't do it. They look like a lot of fun. I'm down with this. I think it'd be cool to own a Segway. But you're not going to be cool on a Segway. <laughs> but courage is a command to be strong and courageous. To keep going. Why in the world would God keep saying this to Joshua? Surely it's not just all about following Moses. 
Certainly it's not all about succeeding this living legend who's not going to live for much longer. You see, God understood that he had called Joshua to an amazing task. God had placed something before Joshua that would require blood. It would be a military campaign. Joshua had to steal his resolve before he ever started. (laughs) It's a lot like being married. I mean, if you knew what it was going to be like to be married, you'd never walk the aisle. You'd be like, no way is it going to be that great. No way is the blessing going to be that incredible. I, I don't believe that. No way is it going to be that hard. But you see, God knew what was in front of Joshua. And he tells him, be strong and be courageous. I love verse 10. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people, watch this, to get their provisions ready. In three days you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. Get your provisions ready. Common sense cultivates courage. Common sense cultivates courage. So Joshua has this incredible, incredible one-on-one with God. And God tells him, be strong and be courageous. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and very courageous. And Joshua leaves that and goes and tells the officers, y'all get your stuff together. We're leaving. Just, Just pack up. Just, just take care of what you can take care of. Because God's about to do something that we've never seen before. Common sense cultivates courage. Do what you can do and watch God do what God can do. But a lot of times it just means doing something very simple. We all like to think about the apostle Peter who walked on the water. Peter walked on the water. Unbelievable. It's the greatest hits of all time. But before Peter walked on the water with Jesus, you know what Peter did? Peter was in the boat. Water's over there. Peter did this. He just, he just very simply made a natural move to get out of the boat. That's all he did. And then God saw that his faith was sufficient to allow him to walk on the water. And God supernaturally held him up on the water. And if you, if you kind of have a problem with the miracles, I understand that. But this is God. He created the entire world. He set up the natural order. He can suspend it when he feels like it. He's God. But Peter just, just took just a step. Just that one step. And so Joshua leaves this mountaintop experience with God and he says, y'all pack up. We're fixing to move. We're fixing to see God do something spectacular. And then verse 16 through 18 I think is really important. And I almost left this out. I almost left this out, but it matters too much. Check this out. They answered Joshua, we will do whatever you command us, and we will go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. 
Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command will be put to death. Now, check this out. These are the leaders of Israel, the people. And look at what they said to Joshua. Say it with me. So be strong and courageous. So be strong and courageous. Courage feeds on courage. Courage feeds on courage. Joshua had the right people around himself. But real quickly, why would they say if anybody disobeys you, they'll be put to death? Oh, that doesn't sound very sweet. This is church. These are God's people. This was a military campaign, folks. This was a military campaign. There would be wars. There would be battles fought. And so for somebody to disobey Joshua, who had been ordained by God to lead them, would be tantamount to mutiny. It would be mutiny, which, even in our world, is punishable by death. There was a supernatural authority given to Joshua. But what I want to focus on are those people around him. The leaders of the nation of Israel, those that he had deputized, those that he had delegated authority and leadership to. And they looked back at him and they said, be strong and courageous. Let's go. Those are the kind of people. In order for us to follow God's command to be strong and courageous, those are the kind of people we need to hang with. It's part of, it's not all of, but it is part of the miracle of church. It's, it's part of the miracle of what God does with us and through us and within us when we are genuinely connected to the body of Christ. Paul wrote about it in the book of Galatians, chapter number 6. In Galatians 6, Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good. Let's not become weary in doing good. In other words, let's keep going. Let's carry on. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. But check this out. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's don't give up. Let's not give up. Because at the proper time, when God says it's time, we will reap a harvest. We will bring in a reward from God because of what Christ did on the cross. You see, strong and courageous doesn't happen in a vacuum. Strong and courageous happens in relationship. Strong and courageous happens when we bond together, when we bind our lives to each other. And we look each other in the eye and we mean it because of who God is and what he's done in our lives, what he's done in our church. We look at each other and we say, be strong and courageous. Take one more step. Stay in the fight one more day. Just just one more rep. I've wondered a lot, just in my own 
faith life. What if Jesus hadn't finished his prayer in Gethsemane? I, I, we mentioned earlier that he said, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Let's, let's find a way around the cross. But he finished that up. He followed that up. And he said, but not my will, but your will be done. Not what I, I want to see happen because I don't feel like it. But God, your will be done. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he endured the cross for the glory that was set before him. In other words, Jesus did not grow weary in doing good, but he reaped a harvest when he got up out of the ground. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to bring this to a very, very fine point for you personally. What Jesus completed, what Jesus accomplished is personal. It's available for all. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And it is relational and personal. And if you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, we want to invite you to do that right now. To be strong and courageous. Because of who Christ is. Because of what he accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection. And that means that you make it personal. That you accept the forgiveness of your sin. That you choose to believe he died on that cross for you personally and he rose again so that you might have a new life in him. If you want to respond to that grace initiative right now, then I invite you just to pray right where you're sitting. Downtown at Brazos Hall, you as well. To step into that relationship once and for all. Just right where you're sitting, pray in your own words silently, just say, Jesus, I need you. I give you my life. I choose to believe you died for me and you rose again. I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back. And I give you my life, holding nothing back, once and for all. For just a moment, if you would, remain in a spirit of prayer with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Because this is holy ground that we're on right now as a church. Because of what God's doing in people's lives. If you're here today and that was your prayer and you meant it, 
while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to ask you if you would very quietly but definitively raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment. And I ask you to raise your hand so that you mark this moment with your hands up that you say to yourself, this is real. This just happened. Because it's the most important moment in your life. And so as a church, we celebrate that moment in your life. As you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home.